We've been reading through the epistle of James, and James has a lot to say about practicing our faith. In chapter 1, he notes in particular how our faith is put to the test through trials and temptations. In our last study, James explained that we're not tempted by God, but by our own sinful desires. And so, we should live with this expectation that our flesh will desire things that are not righteous or good for us. And it's not God's fault when we sin. I mean, he's got something much better in mind for us, especially for those who are born again. Today, we're going to see what it is that we should expect from God. And we pick up in James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 12 through 18. And the focus is on verses 16 to 18, but 12 to 18 for some context here. The word reads like this. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits, of his creatures. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the doing of his word. In the first half of this text, in verses 12 to 15, what we see here is our natural tendency toward temptation, our part, our natural tendency toward temptation, and the results of what happens when we give into our sinful desires. James said, when desire has conceived, It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So this is a conception, giving birth, growing up, a maturing process after something's been conceived and delivered. What does that look like? Well, when we sin, and we keep on sinning, it can bring forth death. And what we see in the second half of this passage, in verses 16 to 18, however, is the contrast between our nature... And God's nature. Whereas we may conceive the most sinful ideas, and those ideas turned into sinful thoughts and acts, and those thoughts and acts may bring forth death, God, on the other hand, can't be blamed for any of that. It's not in his nature. He can't tempt us to sin, nor can he be tempted by evil. And that's why James goes on to say, Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be led astray by bad theology, (laughs) false beliefs about God, just as it is my belief that God doesn't do the believing for us, as some attribute to God, which really removes our responsibility to believe and obey Him. Faith is not a work. It is condition. It's something that God has called us to do and will hold us responsible to do, to trust Him, to have faith in Him. Even so, God doesn't tempt us. Yes, he's in control of all things. Yes, he has power and influence over all things, and he can cause things, he can keep things from happening. But he doesn't make everything happen. 
God is not ultimately responsible for you and I believing in him. And he's not ultimately responsible for evil happening or not happening. So don't be deceived. Throughout James' epistle, he emphasizes over and over again man's responsibility to have faith in God in God and live like it. And we understand what we should expect from ourselves as sinners. Right? I explained before that I consider myself to be a spring-loaded sinner and I have this awareness on a day-to-day that you know, the sinner in me can spring forth at any moment to try to get what it wants. And at the same time, we're told throughout the New Testament what it is that we should expect from ourselves as believers in Christ. So I have this sinful nature, but I now have a holy and sanctified and godly nature within me by virtue of the Holy Spirit living in me and God changing my mind, changing my heart, changing my habits, changing my life. And that's that's a process. The relationship part is instantaneous by faith in Jesus Christ. But there are some expectations here. Things we should expect from ourselves as sinful people left to ourselves apart from Christ. Things we should expect as believers in Christ, spirit-filled, committed to the gospel. And it does remind me of a certain passage in the Old Testament. I want to turn your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 8 because there's a passage here that really seems to be very consistent with what James is talking about today. You may have heard the saying, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. I hope you find that to be true, especially today as we read this. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, and a heading on this part in the Bible, and mine says, remember the Lord your God. The word reads like this, every commandment which I command you today You must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord your garments did not wear out on you nor did your foot swell these forty years you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son so the Lord your God chastens you Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware 
that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty, a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of that flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you to do you good in the end. And then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if any of you mean by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you. So you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You know, what we see here is that God tests his people. He tested Israel. He humbled them. He was indeed going to keep his promise, his covenant with their fathers, right? To, to bring the descendants of Abraham into the promised land. And... On the way, they would experience all kinds of trials and temptations, really most of which they brought upon themselves because of their unbelief and sometimes because of the enemies that they had, absolutely, but largely because of their lack of faith, their unbelief, and their, their disobedience, which sprung forth from their unbelief, for their failure to trust God their failure to love him with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And God said for sure that, you know, they weren't to live by bread alone, but by the word of God and that proceeds, proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so the people's temptation was to wander. And after they were fat and their things had multiplied, the temptation to say, ah, you know, my, my hard work, you know, my power, my strength, my wits brought about all these wonderful things. And God says, no, I want you to remember. Remember. And the cool thing here is that God says, look, in verse 16, his plan was to test them, to do them good in the end. His heart was always to do them good in the end because he's a good God. And he wanted them to remember the Lord God. So, you know, back to our study in James, kind of keeping this passage here in Deuteronomy in mind, you know, again, we understand that we should expect sin to come from our sinful hearts, our sin nature, but we should expect as believers in God to be obedient, right? To follow God's leading, to obey his commands, to head into the direction that God wants us to be heading, where that that promised land 
was Israel's destination. Our promised land is to be with Jesus. Time will tell whether we are truly believers in Christ or mere churchgoers. In the meantime, you know, what is it we should expect from God? All of these expectations, what is it we should expect from God? Well, back in James, in verse 17, James says, after telling us to not be deceived, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In other words, we can expect God to be good. You may have heard me say previously, we shouldn't expect good things from God. We should expect God to be good. I still stand by that statement in context because sometimes we're tempted to expect specific things from God that we consider to be good. And we fail to see the suffering that he's allowing us to endure as the good he had in mind. Sometimes we fail to see the end result. For example, our character development being shaped more and more into the image of Christ. We fail to see that was what God had in mind as the good and perfect gift. And James here, he isn't noting two types of gifts, you know, one good gift and another perfect, you know, even better than the good gift. This verse could also be translated, all good giving and every perfect gift is from above. All good giving. The giving, a different word than the other time gift is used, used here. It's two different words here, but all good giving. It's something having come from someone else. And every perfect gift, this here is the gift itself. It's used only twice in the New Testament, and both times it's used to describe salvation. It's from above. In fact, when James said the gift is from above and then comes down from the Father of lights, he used the same word Jesus used in John chapter 3 when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again the same word there, born from above. It's the Greek anathen, which means above, again, on top, or first. And so when Jesus died, for example, both Matthew and Mark said, quote, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, from anathen to bottom, from up there to down there. Because God is above, because he's on top, He's perfect, and we should expect God's giving to be perfect. You may wonder, well, how did they get born again? Why didn't they just write born from above? Well, it's kind of like if I was issuing out cards from a deck of cards, and I was just piling one card on top of another again and again and again and again and again. If you were to grab that that most recent card off the top, that first card that you have access to, that one's on top, it's from above, but it was the one that I put there after this again process. That's that's why I think the translators chose that word again. We're new and fresh. This is this new life that God has for us. Again, because God is above and he's perfect and we should expect God's giving to be perfect it's like the gift of salvation in Christ Jesus it comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning 
In other words, there's no bait and switch with the Father of lights. He doesn't need the lights to be dimmed when he gives because he's not trying to hide any rust, wrinkles, cracks, creases, or blemishes. There's no imperfection. There's no variation, which means there's no changing with God. And when he turns around, as if we were to look at him from every angle, he doesn't cast a different shadow, nor does he disappoint us as if we were able to see some aspect of him that, that you know, some flaw, something in him that was not true. The author of Hebrews said it wonderfully in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In terms of his character and who he is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we can expect God to be consistently good and perfect. When we have desires apart from Christ, we may very well conceive and bring forth sin that leads to death, as James described. When God desires, his will is perfect he conceives and brings forth the good stuff. The good stuff. Look in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God desired to bring us forth, to beget us as first fruits. First fruits is not a word that we use a lot in our culture today. The first fruits is like the newest freshest first portion of dough that's used when making the sacred loaves of bread that were to be placed in the temple. First fruits is like the first gathering of crops from the field that would be dedicated to God. First fruits is like being born again believers. We're fresh right off the top saved from the power above and we're supposed to be the best kinds of creatures God ever brought forth and he brought us forth as the word says there in verse 18 by the word of truth God spoke his word we responded in repentance and confession saying Jesus you are Lord and then he sealed us with his Holy Spirit as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 he says in him you also trusted means you had faith in him after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory there was a process we heard the gospel we trusted in him we were sealed with the Holy Spirit who is our guarantee until basically God takes our bodies and transforms them into the likeness of his resurrected body to be like Jesus similarly the Apostle Peter said in 1st Peter 1 verses 22 to 23 he said since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Listen, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. We have been born again 
through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And he, and he, just before that, though, interestingly, he says, we've purified our souls, our suke, also translated psyche, like our mind, our souls. We can literally wash our souls by obeying God's word. I'm interested and intrigued by recent studies about the brain and um, you know, I guess the idea that by changing the way that we think can change the wiring in our brain. I'm not super smart to begin with, and I'm certainly not super smart on that. But it is interesting to me that we can change our physical brain structure by habits and thoughts. And it seems that you know, our soul, which I'm thinking has connection to our brains and our bodies, but is separate because our soul and our spirit goes goes on to live forever and ever. If you believe in the eternality of the soul, and I do, you know, we're conjoined and there's some something synergistic happening between our, our spirit and our soul and our body. I think the bodies are the tools that God has given us to communicate the real us inside our spirit and our soul. But we can wash our souls by obeying the word of God. Well, what what does all of this mean? <laughs> this, what we read here in James today, what can we learn about God? Well, he certainly gives us, and he gives in general, good and perfect gifts because he is good and perfect. He is unchangeable. He's constant. And it, it was his will his desire to bring us forth by the power of his word and his word is true what he says is true these are the things we can learn about god he's perfect his giving is perfect unchangeable and constant and contrary to us you know when we desire and and will um, our will is not always pure but God's will is pure. And what did he do with his will? He wanted to bring us forth as a kind of first fruits. I just thank God for his kindness. What can we learn about ourselves from this passage? Well, when and if we are deceived, we may misunderstand God and wrongly attribute the evil in the world and perhaps even our trials and temptations as being his fault. People who don't even know the Lord, who might normally say there is no God, during some sort of catastrophe or trauma, are inclined all of a sudden to blame God for what happened. Because I think we're all born with this understanding that there is God and that He's in control. We just mistake His being in control to to mean that he must be making everything happen. And that's, you know, as we read the narrative and the, the scriptures, we see that that's not necessarily the case. I mean, he's got a plan. He's got a, a destination. He's going to get us there. He will accomplish his will. There's a lot that he allows to happen. But he works all of that, Ephesians 1.11, according to his will. And so... Again, what we learn about ourselves is that, you know, when we are deceived, we may very well misunderstand God. And when we misunderstand God, we can wrongly attribute evil to God. We can wrongly attribute 
our trials and temptations to God as if they're coming from him. And we might blame him for things that are happening. So we've got to be careful. And on that note, what does God want us to do? He wants us to not be deceived. Verse 16 says that very clearly. And sometimes in the New Testament, the word translated deceived is also written as error or wander or seduce, to be seduced. These are things that we may do. We right, and we may err. We choose to wander. We we give in to the seduction. This means that we have the choice to not do them, and He wants us to not wander and drift away, but anchor ourselves in Christ. He wants us to resist the seduction of lies that we are constantly bombarded with, and trust His word. Trust Him which is always reliably good and perfect and true. Father God, thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you for who you are, for your character and your nature. And thank you for making us in your image and by the power of your your Holy Spirit living inside of us and your grace because we fail along the way. You change us, Lord. You are bringing forth in us, I think, something much better than what we were naturally born into. And so we thank you, God, for this gift, this privilege of being born from above, being born a second time, that we might be in a better relationship with you. Thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness, for your consistency, for your your reliability. And I pray, Father, that everyone who is listening to the sound of my voice this morning, to to the text that we read, that they will consider how blessed they are and how loved they are, and to count their blessings, despite the fact that there are just so many crazy things happening in our world right now and and in our lives, that you are good and you're in control. And you want us to do, as we studied last week, to pass the test. You allow us to be tested. You allow us to be humbled. But your plan has always been to do good to us, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, friends. God bless you and keep you. And as always, I encourage you to remember, let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, it's not about me being right. It's not about you being right. It's about God being right and true. And uh, it's our duty to emphasize his truth and his goodness. Blessings to you.